Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in Rose City to Soccer Made in Portland. I'm Ryan Clark, joined by Chris Reifer. Uh, it has been an eventful week uh, surrounding PTFC, to say the least. Uh, so much so that a club record signing for the Portland Timbers in Evander uh, at an estimated transfer fee of about $10 million to, to fill a DP spot. That is the third segment on our podcast today <laughs> the the third most important story in our view uh around this club uh the first of course being that Merritt paulson is set to sell the portland thorns but not the timbers and the secondary one being that portland thorns coach rian wilkinson has resigned after self-reporting contact with one of her players that uh included a mutual expression of romantic interest that was never acted upon um, two major stories that le- led the way this week. Uh, one of them broke while I was on vacation. The other uh, I wrote about right before heading off for vacation. <laughs> um, so, so welcome back from vacation, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know it's just absolutely great to be back, folks. Uh, this is this is fantastic. Um, so I had a chance to you know sit down with Merritt Paulson last week, just speaking to to that first story. Uh, involving the thorns and um, we we talked for about 25 minutes you know an extended period before he had some other interviews to do he did, did a couple other local interviews with John Canzano and with Nick Krupke um, and and his focus of, of that interview was really to discuss the fact that he believes it's in the the thorns best interest that he maintains ownership of one club and not the other. He thinks that, you know, him being able to exert his power as Timbers owner and allow them to, to have a favorable lease at Providence park and to continue to pursue their own training facility, that those are the big focus points for this. But obviously there are a great deal of other issues that fans have with, with him maintaining ownership of one club and not the other, uh, they believe, based on the information that was gleaned from the U.S. Soccer Report and from other sources over the years that have been reporting on the issues within PTFC, whether it be uh, the personnel issues involving Mike Golub on the Timbers and Thorns side or additional stories and scandals involving issues like Andy Polo, uh, who was removed from the club after he was accused of domestic violence, but obviously the the team did not report that to MLS as it was required to when that occurred. Um, a lot of layers to this, and, and that's just scratching the surface of the issues that have faced PTFC in, in recent months. But the, the calls from fans continue for, for Paulson to sell both teams. He is insistent that the best solution at this point is for him to just sell the one. Um, Chris, from from a you know fan's perspective, I'm curious about your your thoughts on that story in particular on on Merritt Paulson making that decision to sell one and not the other and essentially split this club in two. Uh, I mean, my my initial reaction is that this is one of, if not the saddest week in the history of this club. I mean, I think that's that's just sort of the long and short of it. Um, breaking up the club is something that I think sort of cuts to the core of a lot of what many Timbers and Thorns fans 
took some of the greatest pride in uh, about this club because it it was one club, right? Uh, it was very much built that way by the club from the jump. And, and I think a lot of people found a lot of significance in that, that this was two teams. Uh, it was a men's team and a women's team within a single club. And I think a lot of Timbers and Thorns fans took tremendous pride in the fact and found tremendous significance in the fact that although there were certainly still inequalities between the teams, a lot of which were were down to structural reasons that were higher than just at the, at the club level, at the league level and the like, oh, that this was about as close as any soccer club in the world had come to having a men's team and a women's team on, in many respects, equal footing. And having a, a men's team and a women's team that were playing in the same stadium. This wasn't a, an instance like you see in Europe where the men's team plays in the big stadium uh, and the women's team sort of plays in the academy stadium or something like that. Uh, you see that a lot elsewhere. That wasn't the case here. They both played in Providence Park. They both packed out Providence Park regularly. They both had huge followings uh, within, within the city. Uh, they, and, and I think a lot of people looked at that and found that that was one of the reasons that the, the club was bigger than just some soccer teams, because it was in many ways, proof of concept, uh, that, that women's football could, could exist on the same or similar or, or, or could get near uh, and, and was growing to the same plane as men's football. And the fact that they were within the same club, that they were two teams uh, in one club was very significant for that. And, and that is gone today because they're not the same club anymore. Um, I think, you know, I know I personally, I mean, this is sort of just a fanciful dream <laughs> that I had, but like, I very much sort of dreamed of a Timbers and Thorns practice facility that they would build together. And they would essentially have two identical wings within the practice facility. That would be sort of a, a physical manifestation of this. Um, and, uh, you would have them training out of the same place and you would have, have them with, with identical, you know, sort of mirror image locker rooms, uh, and, uh, and that you would, you know, have a physical representation of what I think a lot of people thought this project could be. And that's gone today. I mean, you know, that was, that's just my little dream. Uh, but that's gone today. Uh, and, uh, they are not going to be two teams, one club anymore. Uh, I, I don't, have tremendous concerns about whether the thorns will continue to exist. I do. I, I, I think they will. Um, I think they could thrive, uh, under new leadership. Uh, I think the thorns, uh, I think the support for the thorns has never been sort of grounded in who the owner of that team was, uh, or, or, or those kinds of things. Uh, I think the support for the thorns is, is very organic and grassroots. And I, I think that will continue on. Um, I think there are lots of sort of business interests that line up uh, to that, that will, you know, very likely make it so that the thorns don't have questions about where they're going to play and, and the like. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I don't overly worry about those things. And I think when new ownership gets in and, and, and has uh, an opportunity to set up sort of their front office, if they do a good job, uh, which, you know, we don't know who that new ownership group will be. Uh, or if it'll be a group or an individual or a family, or we don't know yet. Uh, but if they do a good job, I, I have no reason to believe that they won't be able to set up a successful front office and, and you know, to grow the women's club, to grow the thorns. Uh, I don't worry about that. I think that opportunity is, is very much there. I think that future is very much there. Uh, but it's, it, you know, it, it feels like somebody's breaking up our club. <laughs> and the reason it feels that way is because that's what's happening. Uh, and, and that's, uh, that is a very, very sad thing. Um, and I think it, 
it makes it, I mean, I don't want to say that, that it, it, it loses a lot of some of the larger significance, but it loses that particular piece uh, of the larger significance of the club. And I, you know, I think that's why it's just one of, if not the saddest weeks in the history of this club. Right. And, you know, I've, I've heard from people in the Portland soccer community that they, they think that this potentially creates an avenue for them to uh, move away from support of the Timbers. You know, I mean, I mean, and this is this is something that has inspired some people to cancel their season tickets for the Timbers because they see now an avenue out of what they believe uh, was a morally unjust situation of of having to support a club owned by someone in Merritt Paulson who, who they believed had uh, failed so many times over and over uh, on uh, from a moral standpoint, from uh, you know an action standpoint in response to so many of these issues and scandals. Uh, one piece from our interview that I thought was pretty noteworthy relatively early on was that Merritt Paulson said uh, what has happened and what was reported in the U.S. Soccer Report and everything else uh, is not disqualifying for him to own the Thorns, but he is making this decision because he believes it is in the best interests of the Thorns. Now, that strikes people in the Portland soccer community as as relatively disingenuous, and, and that word disingenuous will come up later as we continue to to discuss some of these points, but um, they believe that point is disingenuous because um, Merritt Paulson has both said that the club is sorry for what it has done. Sorry for the mistakes it has made, but for whatever reason, he does not believe that those mistakes are disqualifying. That's a pretty important admission of, of what many would perceive as true beliefs on that front. And that's part of the concern about him making this decision is that it's it's more to push a problem away in the view of, of some Portland soccer fans than to actually do what is truly best for the team, right? Because, yes, Merritt Paulson has, has this power, has this ability – as owner of the Timbers to, to try and keep things as similar or the same as possible to the current experience at the Thorns, you know, them playing at Providence Park at an affordable rate um, that works for the new owners, them having the same sponsorships hanging up in the stadium. But if both clubs were sold together to a new owner, um, mitigating those factors would not even really be a discussion. It would just continue on theoretically under new ownership for both teams. So there's a lot of people in the Portland soccer community who remain extremely skeptical of this and they don't really feel a lot of trust in the people that are at the top of, of this club right now. And um, the idea that that information that, failure in in the view of many people is not disqualifying does not ring true for for folks and um it's it's a lot to navigate for sure yeah i mean this is just another thing that's happened and and i think there have been many such instances over the course of the last 15 months or so that has really put a lot of people in in a position where they feel like and i mean i am very much in the in this club now where they feel like they need to think hard about you know whether and how they're going to continue to support the Timbers and what that's going to look like in the future and and, and all of that, um, it you know it's a, it is a profound thing to to break up somebody's soccer club because it's not just something that people pay money you know it's not just a traveling circus right it's not just something that people pay money to to go see and it's it's sort of just you know cheap entertainment. Um, and and it's never been suggested that that's what it is. It's something that that people invest in very deeply emotionally. Uh, that people, many people, put hours and hours and hours, uh, either volunteering uh, through organizations like One Hundred Sevenist uh, to to support. Um, 
and that people really invest, uh, you know, and build communities around, uh, and, and all of those things, um, that, that it, it is not just a, you know, a, a, a glorified Netflix subscription. Uh, it, and it is when something like this happens, uh, therefore it's not just a matter of, you know, having to split your Netflix subscription into a Netflix and a Hulu subscription. It's not like that. Uh, and, and, and it's something that I think evokes more profound reflections, uh, that hits people's lives more significantly that indeed hits their communities more significantly. And that I think is, is causing folks to really certainly causing me uh, to really think about how that's what that's going to look like going forward. And, you know, I mean, for me, I've obviously done a lot over the years in this podcast and, and writing on sometime footy and, 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 you know, those sorts of things. Um, because, you know, and, and, and none of that's ever been for, for money. <laughs> it's, it's always just been because I, I love the club and I love the sport and I love the community around it. Uh, and when something like this happens and, and that's not to say that I'm, I'm unique in that respect. In fact, it's to say the exact opposite. I'm, I'm not remotely unique in that respect. There are many, many people who have done very similar things in many different ways. And it's, it's now put me in a position. I'm sure it's put, and I know it's put many of them in a position where they have to think about whether and how they're going to do that in the future. So I, you know, and that, that, that shows itself in many ways, uh, and, and sort of season ticket decisions, uh, with respect to the Timbers, uh, I, I think are, are very much one of them. It's one of them that I'm really heavily considering, uh, what's, what the right answer is for me. And that's not to say that there needs to be a right answer for everybody. I'm, I'm not going to advocate for that because I think it is a personal decision that somebody really has to make. Um, and that's hard and that, that gets at many individual circumstances, uh, that, that, uh, that people have to consider for themselves. And so I, I don't think there's, you know, there's no sort of suggested course of action, uh, that I want to make for anybody. Um, uh, but it has put a lot of people in this position and that's, that's really sad to me. Um, uh, because I think the community around this club was extraordinary and I think it, it, is something that is worth protecting. Uh, and it has been under tremendous strain uh, over the course of the last couple of years. Right. You'd be hard pressed to find someone who cares about one of the teams and not the other or vice versa. I mean, this is, this is, is, and has always been since the inception of the thorns one club. And um, it's been part of the branding. It's been part of the, you know, marketing for this team. It's, it's been used to make money, but it has also, been a culturally identifying feature of this soccer community and you know that'll still exist to some degree but nowhere near the level that it would if they, the two teams were together yeah you know i mean the 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 timbers and the blazers right there there's and the thorns and the blazers they're certainly friendly you know they tweeted each other once in a while they you know they they have like go get them instagram posts and and, and things like that uh and that's great um, uh, but it's not nearly the same, uh, as, as when you had two teams sort of under a unified club, uh, as with the Timbers and Thorns and, you know, the reality of the situation is although the, the relationship between the Timbers and Thorns, because they're going to share a building will be a little bit closer than that. You know, the reality is that that's more of an approximation of what the relationship between the teams will look like in the future, uh, as opposed to now. And, and for me, that's a, that's a very significant loss. I know it's a very significant loss for some other folks that I've talked to. Um, and, you know, and, and I think it's also only fair to acknowledge and important to acknowledge that there are a lot of people whose jobs are now uncertain because there are a lot of people who have, who have, you know, had shared functions between the timbers and thorns, uh, and how that plays out with their, with their jobs and their livelihoods, I think now is a very genuine uncertainty, uh, about, which, if any, uh, club they will go with. And so, you know, I mean, it's, it's all of those things. And, and yeah, I mean, not to sound like Eeyore, 
kind of an Eeyore podcast. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but that's why I mean that's just why the, the you know that's part of why it's this is a very very sad time uh, for this club and and you know I I think that sadness uh, certainly brings with it an element of anger for a lot of people when they think about the underlying reasons uh, for this because it's this isn't happening because it didn't work right like this isn't happening because the thorns. And the Timbers couldn't coexist within the same club. Um, and and that's, I think that for a lot of people is 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 very anger inducing. Couple other notes as we wrap up this topic. Um, Merritt Paulson, according to some sources that have have spoken to me about this, uh, seeking upwards of sixty million dollars for the Thorns, uh, and one additional piece of of discussion and. Obviously, folks, if they want to read the entire discussion with Merritt Paulson, can go to OregonLive.com. But um, the discussion about Paul Riley, uh, Merritt had not spoken publicly outside of statements on this, had not spoken candidly about what uh, what occurred with, with Paul Riley. Uh, he, he maintained a lot of the similar talking points, but diverged in, in one key area in that he said uh, the email where he congratulated the Western New York flash on hiring Paul Riley, um, where he, he expressed admiration for him. He said he had a lot of affection for him. Uh, Merritt Paulson claims that that email was disingenuous, that in the sports world, you fake congratulations all the time. And that was a, situation in which he was faking it uh it should be noted that there were also a number of tweets at paul riley and at the teams that he coached uh congratulating him it was not a one-time instance so a lot to unpack there certainly a lot of skepticism on the part of portland soccer fans uh and we'll see how things move forward as far as the sale of the thorns separately from the Portland Timbers. Moving on uh, to, yeah. Moving on. Yeah, moving on to a, a no less uh, dispiriting topic this morning uh, is the uh, resignation of, of Rian Wilkinson as head coach of the Portland Thorns after one season in which she helped lead the team to a NWSL championship. It's third in 10 seasons. Uh, Rian Wilkinson was under investigation by the league after she self-reported contact with defender Emily Mangus, uh, where the two exchanged text messages with each other, where they both expressed romantic feelings for each other. But according to uh, what has been reported and what was released by the club, did not act upon those feelings. Um, that has been stated by Rian Wilkinson as well in her statement about this. Um, Either way, she felt that she had lost the locker room due to this. There were a number of players that were extremely concerned by the power dynamics at play here. Uh, they wrote a letter to Jessica Berman at the NWSL and were concerned about how the team handled the investigation and how that was communicated to the players. And ultimately, you know, because of the nature of the situation, Rian Wilkinson could have continued on as Thorns coach, but she had lost the faith of a great deal of the players in her locker room, um, and decided to to make this decision to resign. This is something that, you know, in following this team closely throughout the season, I had not heard a whisper about anything close to this. I had not even heard about a, a lack of faith in the locker room in Rian Wilkinson. Everything seemed to be, you know, going along well and, and players were adjusting to a new coach and maybe some of them didn't agree with tactics here or there, but nothing like this. And I, I think that speaks a lot to the craziness of this year for PTFC that, you know, Potentially, there were so many other things swirling around the club that this may have gotten lost in the fray as far as potential media coverage, potential uh, information getting out there about it. But it's out there, and the Thorns are now without a head coach. They 
after winning a championship are embarking on another head coaching search uh, as a result of a workplace issue that um, was entirely preventable, included a number of mistakes by key people in the situation, and contains a great deal of nuance, which has been discussed ad nauseum on social media. I think this is a, a, a really nuanced situation. Oh, uh, and you know, I'll I'll share sort of some some top level takeaways before we get in, into the nitty gritty. Um, uh, but I I sort of start from the point where, based on what we know now, and and I do want to underline based on what we know now, uh, it's that's important because our our understanding of these things can evolve over time. We can get new information. Uh, and so, you know, everything is, of course, based on what we know now. Uh, and that that comes from uh, the, the various statements that we saw on Friday, uh, the article from Meg Linehan uh, for, and, and her, her very, very good reporting uh, on this issue. Uh, so based on what we know now, I, in my view, and it is just, this is just my personal view, uh, I don't see that that Rian Wilkinson, uh, or certainly Emily Megas, but I, but I don't think that's much of a question. I don't see that Rian Wilkinson, in my view, did anything really wrong. I don't see this as a matter of misconduct. Frankly, I, you know, I mean, I, I think Megas in, in Linehan's story made a, a really strong point of saying this is not an instance where there was a, a power imbalance or there was an abuse of power uh, or there was coercion or anything like that. And she expressed some frustration that, that she felt like people weren't believing her in that respect. I do believe her. I do believe Mengus. I, I, I do believe uh, that those are the good faith findings of, of an investigation uh, by the league and by the players association uh, as part of the, the ongoing uh, investigation. And, and I, have not seen anything that makes me question those conclusions. I do believe those things, uh, that there was no misconduct here, that there was no policy violated here. Uh, and I think those are important things that, you know, I mean, and, and I think this is understandable from just a human perspective. And I think this is a point that, that Wilkinson made in, in her, uh, statements, that look, you know, I mean, especially when you have a relationship with somebody that goes back nearly a decade, whom you've known for a long time, have been friends with for a long time, sometimes feelings just evolve in an unexpected way. And that can happen. And so, like, I, I sort of start at the at the point where I believe the all, all the folks who are saying that that there was no misconduct here, there was no malintent, uh, there was no uh no violation of policy. And, and I believe those things. Uh, I haven't seen anything that makes me think otherwise. But that's not the only question that needs to be answered in determining whether Wilkinson can continue as, as the coach of the Thorns. There also need, I mean, the, you also need to address whether she can continue to be effective as the coach of the Thorns, whether she can continue to lead a locker room. And look, this has been a Rian Wilkinson Stan podcast. I have made no bones about the fact that I am an enormous fan of Rian Wilkinson. And that is true today. I am still an enormous fan of Rian Wilkinson. Uh, if in my perfect world in which everything is arranged according to the way I would like it to be, I would very much like Rian Wilkinson to be the coach of the Thorns because I think she's an excellent coach. I think she had an A+. Plus of a first season with the thorns. I think she not only did a great job with the team on the field, a team that had certainly a, a number of tricky issues to navigate from rebuilding a, a, a midfield to, uh, to navigating a lot of off field stuff and all of those things. And I think she did an excellent job of it. And that's, that is all good and, and, and important but it doesn't answer the question of whether she can be an effective leader of the team. I think she was very much the kind of person whom you would have looked to to help navigate the club more generally 
through some very stormy times that are likely still to come. Uh, even with uh, a, a smooth transition of ownership, that is an enormous transition. And she's one of the people that you would have looked to to lead it. But, I mean, in 2022, as it probably should have been forever, the relationship between a coach and an athlete is just such that it is incompatible with having a coach, even in a mutual, equal circumstance, expressing romantic feelings for an athlete. These issues are just too fraught. And the future in that circumstance is just too fraught. You don't need a minesweeper to know that it is full of landmines, or at least potential landmines, that could create a great deal of difficulty. And that is even setting aside the possibility of, of something happening in bad faith or, or something wrong happening. There are lots of ways you can see that going forward, even when everybody is acting in the best of faith, where it can still create problems. And so it is, again, with great sadness, given the amount of respect I have for Rian Wilkinson, that I just sort of conclude that, that the players who called for her to resign are correct. That she couldn't continue to be the coach of, the, of this particular team uh, in light of that, that course of events. And it's not because she did anything wrong. Uh, and it's not because she broke any policy. It's just because she, it, it, it's sort of just a, a, a development that is inconsistent with her ability to lead the team. And, you know, it would be nice if we could sort of, you know, <laughs> be able to say, well, but this is Rian Wilkinson. We, we trust her. She, she has earned our trust. She's earned our respect. We like her. Uh, and so we'll, we trust her to be able to navigate this going forward, but we just can't have two sets of expectations and two sets of standards, one for coaches whom we like, trust and respect, and the other for coaches we don't, that's just not going to work. And so it's, it's with great sadness for me that, uh, that I, I think the, the ultimate outcome here is is the correct one. I think as I look at the investigation, certainly there are indications that, 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 you know, maybe something should have been considered that weren't or, or that some things were missed. Um, it looks to me, and I think this is important to point out, uh, and, and, you know, to be clear, I don't have sort of an independent basis to assess those things. And so, I, I mean, if, if there's something else that should be looked at, it should be looked at. Uh, if there's new inform other information, it should be considered. Um, but I, I don't have a, an ability to say one way or, or another whether that's the case. It looks to me, though, like this is an instance in which everybody who's been involved in this has been trying to navigate this difficult situation the best they can. And the way that they've gone about it is infinitely better than the way we've seen these things handled in the past. It's not to say that it's been perfect, and that's not to say that has been in, handled entirely correctly, but it has been handled much better than these issues have been handled previously. I think the subtext there is kind of obvious, but, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think, I think even if the, the process was still somewhat flawed and could still be improved, I, I think you can see how much more robust the response to this was than, than in previous instances. And that's a good thing. However, I do think, and I hope that at, you know, when sort of the dust settles and there's an ability to take a breath and look back, I think Thorne's leadership should look at this and should ask themselves whether they should have made this call before that decision went and sort of fell to the players. Um, and you know, I don't know enough today to have a really, firm, strong take on that. But, but I, I think there, there probably should be some self-reflection, uh, about whether, whether that decision should have been made at the leadership level and at the management level before it fell to the players to, to, to institute this change. 
Uh, and and that's not to say that I, I think anybody's acting in bad faith or, or or doing anything wrong. I don't think that. It looks to me like everybody was trying in good faith to get to the right solution here. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there still can't be learnings. And and I think that that should be looked at in the future. Right. I, I think that this situation is indicative of what the results of cultural change throughout a sport. I'm not saying cultural change with regard to the organization necessarily, but you know, throughout a sport, throughout an institution, throughout a society, um, this is essentially what that looks like, right? And it could have been handled a different way. Rian Wilkinson could have dug her heels in and said, I'm I'm not going anywhere. This is BS. I'm I'm the I'm the coach of the thorns and will continue to be because this was not in, as, as you put, you know, this wasn't a violation of team policy. This wasn't um, something that many in, in the Portland soccer community viewed as, as wrong, but she made that decision. And I think that's the key, you know, splitting point with this. She made that decision to step away because she knew it was the best thing, not for herself, but for the team. And that really that that is leadership. I mean that that's that's stepping up to the to the plate and saying, "Hey, like I made these mistakes, and yes, they weren't necessarily in this that or the other category, but it it caused the locker room, or at least a portion of the locker room, to lose faith in her, and you know, for the long term success of the team, for you know, moral reasons." Uh, she, in in the view of a lot of fans, she made the right decision. And um, going forward, it's it's obviously going to be a very difficult challenge to find a, a leader of her metal to to lead the team. But um, ideally, it would be someone that that all these players are able to trust and would help at least institute a lot of the cultural changes that they are hoping to see. Because it, it's it's more than just the tactics. It's more than just the soccer. I think that, you know, not every coach could lead the Thorns to a back-to-back championship, but it it is not as hard as some other situations. They've got, they've got some pretty darn good players on that roster. Uh, the soccer, I think, is going to take care of itself for the most part with, with the group that they got coming back. That's secondary at this point. The, these players need somebody that they can have faith in that they can, can trust fully in, in these um, cultural changes that they're seeking and in the, in the locker room dynamics that they seek out of everything. So, um, you know, it's, it's another inflection point for a club that has reached several inflection points over the last year. Plus Uh, it's been overwhelming. It's been insane. And just to speak, from a personal standpoint, uh, this being the, my first year on the beat, uh, not normal. Heck of a rookie season for you, right? <laughs> not, not normal at all. Uh, it's, it's like, you know, you, you want to, to build these relationships, get to know these people, um, develop a rapport and, you know, chaos continues to swirl. Right. And, and I'm, trying my darndest to to cover everything and do so thoroughly and do a good job and and keep my finger on the pulse of what the people in the community care about and the fans and everything else but my goodness <laughs> i can't even really go on like a four-day vacation without something <laughs> like this hitting and i you know my my own personal concerns are secondary to everything else in this situation obviously this is a incredibly serious and you know emotional moment for a lot of people it's it's a reckoning in many ways for for people deciding whether or not they want to continue to support this club i get the emotions i get that some of this is triggering and upsetting and you know it's not what sports are supposed to be um but in many ways progress on the front of cultural change is not a straight line, right? There's an opportunity here in my view for a better future to exist for these two clubs 
even in a situation where they are separate, which a lot of fans, yourself included, Chris, are are upset about. They they don't think is the best path. But there is an opportunity here to make something better. And um I think listening to the voices of the women in the NWSL who have been through all this and yet created this this incredible and eloquent platform to to voice their desire for these different changes i think listening to them and allowing them to chart the future uh is the best path forward for everyone involved and you know there is no question in my mind that this and the way this has played out, even as as sad and upsetting and and maybe even still imperfect as, as that has been, is so much better than if this had happened three years ago. I mean, do we yeah, yeah, I mean, just just think about if this had happened three years ago. Unfortunately, it's it's not even something you really need to need to think in that that, you know, far fetched of hypotheticals uh to play out. Um uh, would players have felt sufficiently empowered to be able to do what the Thorns players did here? Would they have even had the information uh, that they had here? Would there have been uh, an independent review from the league uh, and and the players association acting in concert uh, as, as occurred here? Uh, Even within this very difficult situation, there are really important and really meaningful signs of progress. Uh, And that is, we shouldn't lose sight of that fact. Uh, even though losing Rian Wilkinson to me is just an enormous loss for this Thorns club. Enormous loss. Uh, and it's an, it may be a necessary loss uh, just given what has happened. And, you know, I, I even hesitate to to say that there were mistakes or, or even anything like that. I mean, I, I, I guess to a certain extent it, it, that, kind of gets into a, a an area that I don't feel like I have enough information really to, to opine about. Um, but, you know, I mean, just given that, that it has happened, it may just be a necessary loss, but it's a big one. Uh, and it's, it's going to be very difficult, especially in this moment. And especially with the rest of the uncertainty surrounding the club, uh, to, to replace Rian Wilkinson, um, who herself, uh, had big shoes to fill with Mark Parsons' departure, uh, and I think filled them very, very admirably, and 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 maybe more than filled them uh, in in her first season. Uh, I think going forward, uh, you know, the the league sort of made a point of saying this uh, based on what we know today and what we've seen to date. I not only don't have reservations about Wilkinson coaching somewhere else in the league. Frankly, if I were another team in the league, I would be extremely interested in talking to Rian Wilkinson. Uh, if I had a coaching vacancy elsewhere in the league, this sounds to me uh, based on what we, we know now to be a, a pretty unique situation uh, that, that, you know, I mean, is, is likely to be a one-off uh, and, uh, and as I think the leagues, uh, stated in, in, in its investigation conclusion, doesn't represent a reason why, why Wilkinson couldn't coach or work elsewhere within the league. And frankly, given the job that she did, uh, and the leadership that she showed throughout the course of the year, I think I would, if I was another team, I'd be very interested in that. Uh, but in my view, uh, it, it, it just couldn't be with this Portland Thorns team going forward, just because I, I think it's you know, just kind of a Rubicon, uh, that, that once you cross it, it's, uh, you can't really go back and, and you can't continue to be the effective leader that she was. Right. And, you know, that is something that she said. She, that was, that was something that Rian Wilkinson said that she, you know, when, when you lose the locker room as she did, um, there's really no going back, but as the league noted, it, it's not something in the league's view that is disqualifying. Um, I'm sure there are different executives at different teams, different players, too, that have different feelings about this. It's it's a lot of gray right now. And and I, I don't think that we will see um, Rian Wilkinson at the helm of an NWSL club soon. However, I, I do think that she would make a, a strong addition to 
any staff around the league and, and potentially find her way back into a head coaching position in the future when, you know, when more time has passed and more reflection has been done on this situation. So um, that will wrap our discussion on that topic. Uh, we move on to the tertiary <laughs> topic of the podcast, which is a, a, quite a thing to say about the club record signing for the Portland Timbers. But uh, Evander uh, has officially signed with the Timbers. Uh, his contract runs through 2026 with a club option for 2027. Have to imagine a guy of his caliber has a chance to maybe move on to an even higher level before that contract expires. We can get into that. But the big details, uh, Evander's 24 years old from Brazil, uh, played with FC Midland in the Danish Superliga uh, for the last five years, signed on a reported $10 million transfer fee. That's what I have heard, uh, that it's roughly a, a, around $10 million for, for the transfer fee for Evander. He will occupy a designated player spot for the Timbers, which is notable because uh, according to some timber sources that I have talked to, uh, the two designated players for the timbers in 2023 will be Evander and Jimmy Chara. That is because, uh, according to the information I have currently, the salaries for Sebastian Blanco and Yaroslav Nuzgoda are no longer over the threshold of being in designated player territory. How they got to that point will probably become a little clearer as more discussions happen, but um, my understanding currently is that their salaries as presently structured uh, don't go over that threshold. And so Evander comes in as a guy you know, who will be in a, a central attacking midfield role, somebody with you watch his highlights, you watch, you watch tape, if you will, an incredible skill technically. I mean, a, a goal scorer an assist man, a, a, a guy that the Timbers desperately need, right? Somebody that can be in a starring role for this club uh, and and lead the way and and maybe even, you know, follow in the footsteps of somebody like Hani Mukhtar, who came from the Danish Super League himself and was the MLS MVP this last year. So it's an exciting time uh, on the field for the Portland Timbers. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's an interesting time on the field for the for the Timbers. I guess I wouldn't go so far as to say exciting. Uh, it's a little bit unclear what they meant by that statement that that Blanco and and Nishgoda, their salaries no longer sort of uh, cross over the threshold for being a DP. I assume what they mean, and I think this is a safe assumption. But but the way they it sounds like they phrased it is a little bit odd. Um, that they mean that that neither of those guys are over the sort of max TAM threshold. Essentially, there are two thresholds to be uh, that are relevant here. One is the maximum salary budget charge, uh, which it changes every year. It's been in the neighborhood of 600 and some change thousand uh, over the course of the last few years, and it goes up a little bit every year. And then there's that number plus $1 million, which is what for lack of a better phrase is the max TAM threshold, which is if you're over that, you have to be a DP. Uh, if you're sort of between those two thresholds, the maximum salary budget charge and the max TAM threshold, then you at least in theory can be bought down under the uh, maximum salary budget charge using allocation money, whether it's general allocation money or targeted allocation money. I think what they mean by that statement and I would be shocked if it were otherwise. I think what they mean by that is that both Nishgoda and Blanco are, well, for 2023, be under the max TAM threshold, but presumably over and presumably over by some distance, the maximum salary budget charge. It would take a, a really, really shocking, frankly, uh, contractual development for either of those guys uh, without the use of any allocation money to fall under the maximum salary budget charge. So that's not, I, I think that's not a change in status for Blanco from last year. That's, that's where Blanco was last year uh, under the max TAM threshold. Uh, Nishgoda, my understanding was over the max TAM threshold last year, but that's, that's at least possible 
that a player can go from being over the max TAM threshold one year and under it the next year. And the reason is, uh, as noted, the max TAM threshold goes up every year just because of the the way the maximum salary budget charge is calculated and the way the CBA works. That threshold goes up every year. Whereas generally, if you're a player whose salary is above the maximum salary budget charge, i.e. you're either a TAM player or a DP, your cap hit is calculated by the annualized average value uh, of of the con- of your contract, including acquisition costs. Uh, and so that number, in theory, stays relatively flat. So if the max TAM threshold goes up, it can, in theory, go, you know, you can have a, a cap hit that is over the max TAM threshold one year and then under it the next. And it sounds like maybe that's the case uh, with with Yaroslav Nizhgoda's contract. There are a whole other set of questions, though, still to, to be answered uh, in light of the, the Timbers cap situation. And frankly, if if the Evander signing is the only sort of DP level signing that the Timbers are making this offseason, uh, i.e. that their DPs in 2023 will be Jimmy Chara and Evander, uh, and that otherwise they're going to keep Nishkota and Blanco uh, as as TAM level players, I think there would be a lot of reason not to be very bullish about the 2023 Timbers uh, because Jimmy Chara was not particularly effective in 2022 and frankly hasn't been all that effective for most of his time in Portland. He's had some periods in which he's been quite good, but 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 those have been the exception rather than the rule. Uh, and then you're still attributing a lot of cap space to guys like Blanco and Nishkota, who in 2022 at least were – Pretty disappointing. I, I think Blanco probably was about as expected given age and injury history and the like in 2022. I don't know if I would say his production was was significantly less than the Timbers would have expected. Yeah, but I wouldn't Nish- lump him in with the Yeah, with but Nishkota certainly yeah. was. Uh, and and if if that's kind of the, the squad going forward, uh, then I think there's reason for concern about 2023. So, you know, my, my approach to the Evander signing is all right, what's next? Uh, because I think what's next is likely to determine whether this is a team that's going to be poised for a turnaround, uh, in 2023, or whether it's going to be another, you know, challenging season, uh, on the, on the field, uh, with respect to, you know, Evander over the years, my, my perspective on, on foreign signings has, has become somewhat more wait and see, uh, than, than it used to be, uh, just because I, I, I think it, with guys like this in particular and, and players coming from leagues like the Danish league, uh, there's just quite a bit of inconsistency, frankly. Oh yeah. I remember when, when Nishgoda came into MLS, uh, the new England revolution, I think in the transfer window before I had assigned Adam Buxa. And Buxa didn't sort of immediately come on and make a huge splash with the Revs. He was solid, but but not great in his first season. And a lot of folks, when Nishgoda was signed, were, were sort of saying, oh, Yaroslav Nishgoda uh, is, is a little bit better than Adam Buxa. He was better in the Polish league. They both came from Poland uh, than, uh, than Buxa. And so the Timbers may, may, may really have hit something here. That's just not how it played out. In MLS, <laughs> Adam Buxa had very good seasons for the for the Revs after that. The Timbers would have loved uh, if Yaroslav Nishgoda uh, had produced like Adam Buxa had in MLS, and he just didn't. And so when you when you hear and 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 I think the the club has been saying some of this when you hear sort of comparisons with Hani Mukhtar, take that with a big grain of salt, um, because you know comparing signings based on what league they're coming from. Uh, is is not a particularly reliable way to predict how a signing is actually going to play in MLS. That said, uh, I you know I agree with you. Evander's a really interesting signing. He is really well reputed. There were a lot of clubs uh, from Galatasaray, to, I think Rangers. Uh, there were a lot of pretty good clubs that that seemingly had pretty significant interest in him. Uh, and certainly that price tag is reflective of that. Uh, and and so this is a very interesting signing. It's been a while uh, since sort of Diego Valeri prime years. Uh, since the Timbers have had a truly central attacking midfielder uh, who 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 wanted to to create from central areas, and it sounds like Evander is is that kind of player, and so I I think uh, it, it's a really interesting signing, and and if the Timbers are right that he is worth that ten million dollar price tag, uh, then it could be a lot of fun. Um, but you know, I, I, we have seen plenty of signings 
come in and not hit the way uh, the the way folks in MLS and even folks in Portland expect them to. Uh, and so how it'll work out uh, will, you know, remains to be seen. Definitely. Uh, I can provide this insight. I signed him in FIFA 22 to the Timbers uh, in career mode. Uh, he was a 76 when I signed him and he improved to a 79. And then uh, I got some big bucks from AC Milan and he moved on. So you know what a what a journey that was for imaginary Evander. Maybe maybe that could happen in real life. Who knows? If real Evander does as well as imaginary Evander, I think everybody will be delighted with how this uh, <laughs> this arrangement worked out. Yes, and right now he exists only in an imaginary sense, but uh, the real one uh, will likely be talking to the media soon. So we'll we'll hear from him. Um, it'll be exciting to to hear his voice and to to see a new face that could potentially be the face of the club. If, if things do work out um, somebody that could, could be one of the great players in, in club history. And, and, you know, it could also go the other way. As you said, it could also be uh, disappointing. It could also not work out. He could, he could look elsewhere. It could be a one, one or two year little blip, you know, who knows. But at this point um, he's the person they want to build around. I, I have heard over the last several months that there is a desire to, not only sign somebody like Evander, so that that's a check off the off the list, but also to to seek out a striker and to seek out a center back. Um, how much money those people make, how much they cost to to nab, um, whether they're immediate contributors or young stock away pieces, we don't know, and and we also don't know whether the current front office as structured uh, is really maintaining those irons in the fire as, as was the case when Gavin Wilkinson was GM. You know, that's, that's a reality of, of his being fired is there is potential for deals that were in the works during his time uh, may, may not necessarily still be going or even have potential to go through. It could, it could be a different landscape. We just, we just don't know right now. And they're also just down one headcount, which is, is sort of the other point. It's not a huge office. Uh, and, and they haven't sort of replaced, I guess it would be technically backfilling Ned because Ned stepped up to, to fill Wilkin, Gavin Wilkinson's spot. Uh, they, they, they haven't yet made, made that higher. Uh, and so, you know, they're also just down one headcount. I'll, I'll go ahead and, and, and sort of say this uh, as a little bit of a hot take. I think if they don't make a significant signing at, at number nine, uh, they're taking a huge risk going into to 2023 uh, and not putting Evander in the best position to be successful. Uh, it should be can. noted that, that Nathan Fogasa is still yet to be uh, re-signed, renegotiated. So right now their current striker list is Yaroslav Nuzgoda. And Felipe Mora, who's coming off microfracture surgery, <laughs> uh, you know, and yes, yes, but not not for a while. Yeah, like uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking May or June is 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 the rough rough timeline for that. But yes, I mean, you know, if it can't, you don't want to run it back at that position is is what you're you're getting to, which is that's exactly com- completely right. valid because they <laughs> were not effective at that position. You d- you really do not want to run it back uh, at at that position. Um, at least uh, if the hope is for a quick turnaround into 2023. Now it may be uh, that the Timbers front office is sort of looking at the overall salary cap situation uh, and is saying, you know what, maybe the the winter of 2023, 2024 is really our, our best opportunity uh, with some salary coming off the books uh, to go and make a bigger splash in, in the international market. I wouldn't say I necessarily completely understand the Evander signing, if that's their thinking. Uh, I think there's little reason to make a big $10 million signing. If you're actually feeling like you're a year away from being able to make the moves you need to make in order to get the roster to a place where it's competitive again. Um, so that wouldn't necessarily make sense to me, but you know, I mean that, that is, I, I guess, I guess a possibility. Maybe you roll the dice, uh, that if you have somebody like Evander, that that's going to increase the output from somebody like Nishgoda. Candidly, though, uh, I didn't think the problem with Nishgoda was that he wasn't, you know, getting the balls to him uh, that he needed to to uh, to be on the end of more chances. It's that he wasn't in the spots he needed to be to get those balls. Uh, and Evander's not going to fix that. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I think the the 
far clearer path forward would be for the Timbers to to make an addition at that position and to move on um, from Nijgo to one way or the other. Whether they do that, we'll see. Should be an interesting offseason for uh, the Timbers as they continue to try and, you know, rebuild this roster to a point of of contention because, you know, they didn't make the playoffs. They they've got higher expectations than that around around that club as far as performance. So we will see what the additional moves, if any, are that are made uh, and the steps forward that the young players uh, that are currently in the fold uh, will make. Uh, so that will wrap it up for us here on Soccer Made in Portland. For Chris Reifer, I am Ryan Clark. Thank you for joining us. Feel free to uh, like us, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, follow us on Twitter at Soccer Maiden PDX, and also at Ryan T. Clark and at Chris Reifer, because we're, we're a couple of good follows on our own. Um, as long as the platform exists, by the way. I mean, we were kind of in doomer mode a couple weeks ago about the existence of Twitter. I think it'll be fine, but you never know. You can follow me on Mastodon, too. I got a link to it on, uh, on Twitter. I've only got like 90-something followers on there, but, you know. We, we will rebuild and then just imagine the... the you know, folding chair that uh, that's on the grass that's fallen over the that meme from from various small earthquakes that have occurred in Oregon, California, and elsewhere. But um, yes, so fi- finishing on a meme today, and uh, review us if you want, like us, subscribe to us. Uh, we'll catch you next week. <laughs>